so you know I, I get asked a lot of times like why, why do I why do I do what I do why, how did I get into healthcare why why do I run a hospital and you know I think a lot of it goes back to uh, experiences we have when we're when we're younger and when I was when I was probably about 16 uh, in the city where I grew up in Vicksburg Mississippi they had a they had an old Catholic hospital there and uh, they had this thing called a volunteer program for teenagers teenagers right yeah so, that's cool yeah so a lot of times you'll hear you'll hear you know people my age and older will refer to the volunteer program as candy stripers right I don't know if you remember yeah. that but yeah. the, but it was because the girls uh, in the program would wear would wear uh, skirts that were they were looked right. like candy stripes yeah yeah so so that was the uh, my I had worked the summer before and did you have candy striped shirt and pants I did not so <laughs> I did not. so my my shirt was a maroon I had a maroon top and I had to wear white pants and white shoes oh so man. that everybody at the hospital would know I have no idea what I'm doing and, and rookie that, all and over don't don't ask him to do anything but we had a chance to work you know throughout the hospital and do. Um, do different jobs and uh, everything from you know working in housekeeping to, to helping in the in the kitchen to you know putting pills together in the pharmacy. It was a little different back then. Things were a little more lax. Right. Uh, and then my my favorite job though was working with respiratory therapy. So as as you may know, respiratory therapists are the guys that will, will come in and they'll do respiratory treatments on you. They can also help intubate you and. They work with a lot of people in the ICU, and, and they're, uh, they're they're trained in that area. And it was interesting because they're all it's all about the airway. And so the, what they would do is they would run out and do do a couple treatments. Then they would go back and hang out in the lounge. And so I'd go with them, and they go back to the lounge, and everybody smoked. This was like in the late eighties. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, the whole respiratory therapy department would sit around and smoke, and <laughs> the respiratory and, oh, yeah, therapy yeah, department, yeah, and uh, and have snacks, and um, you know, and, and, I, and I said, well, this is great, you know, I, I, I could, <laughs> I could get these with guys, this. These guys have fun all the time. So anyway, uh, you know, years years later, you know, I, uh, I I graduated undergrad and went to went to school for for healthcare administration, but. A lot of that was was tied back to those early experiences, kind of understanding, you know, the hospital is a very different place, interesting place, and there's also always something new every day that, that you just uh, you, you don't know what to. So expect. you got great exposure early on. Early on, yeah. So hey, everybody, I'm here with John Paul Croom. He's the CEO of North Fulton Wellstar North Fulton Hospital, and I asked him to come talk with me a little bit today. We're going to explore some things about how hospital businesses. Got a lot of similarities to other businesses and some some things that aren't similar. And then uh, also, you know, COVID's on everybody's mind and stuff. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So um, tell me, have you had your COVID shot? I have. All right. And so I know he has because he called me and said, hey, you need to get yours. Yeah. So I was able to do that. So you believe that people should get a COVID shot? I do. All I right. do. And, and your reason for that is... Well, you know, I, I work, you know, obviously with a lot of physicians and other clinicians. Um, you know, a lot of what we do is 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 fact based science, and um, right. we've, uh, you know, I was very anxious, uh, especially 
if everybody can you know think back and remember early in COVID, we didn't know if we were going to have a vaccine or not. Mm -hmm. It was a scary time about a year ago, mm -hmm. um, and you know we were in a much different situation. And in the hospitals, you know, while everybody was dealing with COVID, we we saw some very very sick people, and I saw some very sad situations. And these were people that didn't have access to a to a vaccine because we didn't have one, and um, it, it was a tough time. Uh, not just our hospital, but but every hospital. And it was a tough time for the nurses and the doctors and the other staff there. We were frightened every day because we didn't understand at the time, you know, how contagious this was. Uncertainty. How easy it was to catch. There was a lot of uncertainty, and we had to go to work every single day. And, you know, and, and even though I'm there, I'm an administrator, um, you know, the real heroes are those people that are at the bedside. I mean, right. the people that are going in there. Donning up, you know, their mask and their and their. And then they got to go home and hope they're and not they sick. Go home. Right? So there were a lot of stories about you know people would you know there were there were doctors and nurses who were sleeping in the basement and they didn't see their kids for the first couple of months or they were you know they were leaving all their clothes in the garage or yeah you know so there was a lot of a lot of things going on because we just didn't know a lot and as we you know learned more. Um, and as the vaccine came out, I think there were quite a few people that were just really interested in, in getting so a hold of So what about the rest of the people there in the hospital? I mean, have, you, have, have they felt the same way? Are you seeing that a large percentage of the people in the hospital got vaccinated? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's a mix. I think a hospital is really a reflection of our community. Okay. And, you know, I think today there are so many different thoughts and, you know, everybody has an Their opinion opinion um, you know you can become an expert by going on social media and, and you can right. <laughs> say what you want and and really when I say there are hundreds of different opinions there are hundreds of different opinions about what COVID is about the shot about you know if you there's know, anything what, gonna happen later what, what, right what the studies mean you know and I and I just really encourage the people I mean one thing is is reading but really talking to people that you know have have a science background and can explain the studies that have so been done. I hear that this COVID shot is something different about it versus the other shots we've been getting. There's some way that it is in your system. Do you know about that? Is well, that... I mean, I'm not I'm not an epidemiologist, so I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna but, attempt to answer that. But you know, I think the, the 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 way the COVID shot was put together is not a lot different than than other things that have been developed. Oh, okay. Uh, I was talking to a guy from the CDC yesterday and he was he was listing out the ingredients in the COVID shot and it was a lot of very, you know, simple things. It's just it's just um, it's important to look at the studies that were done. And But it, is it like the flu shot where it kind of gives you the flu or is it somehow a little bit different or Well, so the flu shot uh, and again, you're asking me these scientific. You know, I'm an administrator. I know you're but doing this on purpose. I thought maybe you'd hear somebody say something. <laughs> we, uh, you know, the, you know, I think with the flu shot and the COVID shot, yes. I mean, I think you know, from my own experience, when I had I had the COVID shot, I had uh, after my second shot, I had you know some fever and chills that night, and um, and after that, I was past it. But uh, you know, I think different people have different reactions. A lot of people have no reactions. Um, you know, and with anything, I mean, you know, whether you take the flu shot or any, you know, type of vaccine or any shot, if, if anything happens to you within the next week, you're, you know, you may, you may blame it on what you got, you know, but, right, but, right, but, I, but, right. I, but again, I just really encourage people to talk to their physician, uh, talk to your primary care physician. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they went to medical school for a long time for a reason. 
Um, and should be smarter than us on that subject. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't, and it, it, even working in a hospital, I don't pretend to, to know to know. So how so. how full is the hospital? I mean, right now, what's where's North Fulton stand on this? I mean, so we're busy, um, and we've been we've been busy uh, throughout the summer. Uh, we, you know, our number of COVID cases for the past year peaked in, in January, like with most hospitals in Georgia. Uh, there were a couple of, of big peaks. The first one was in July last year. Uh, our second big peak was in January. Okay. Uh, and we're, we are not back at where that peak was, but, um, but we did see a pretty rapid growth in COVID cases over the, past, over the past few weeks. Is it all the Delta stuff or is it the regular stuff too? So we don't have a, a great way at the hospital to test every patient to determine if it was a Delta or another variant. Okay. Uh, a lot of what we rely on, and I'm probably not going to get this percentage right, but I think the CDC came out and said it was up like 70, 80% of COVID cases in Georgia or Delta. Are, are, are Delta so we just assume it is. Um, you know, we, it, you know, as far as how someone reacts when they get COVID, it's pretty similar to what we saw back in, back in January. Uh, I think one interesting thing that that you know because i you know i really work from facts and i just want to know um you know i looked at our patients over the past 90 days and we had about uh, 800 and something patients that were admitted with COVID in the past three months uh-huh. and and so that sounds like a lot it's a lot and a lot of COVID patients will come in and you may not stay for a long time you may stay a couple days and get are they typically coming in through the emergency room most come through the emergency room yeah you don't feel good you come in for a test or a lot of times what happens is you know people may may have COVID. they take care of themselves at home and they become short of breath and that's usually that's when they get scared usually the mission criteria your 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 oxygen saturation level begins to drop um you you become short of breath you're having a hard time and you come in Uh, it's really important if you have covid to go and see your doctor go to an urgent care go to the er uh, just get somebody to check you out Um, because they'll, they'll let you know if you need to be admitted or not you know at the hospital we're not you know, we want to make sure that you know if you don't need to be admitted, we're not gonna we're not gonna admit you. Um, but if it's something where you know we need to check you out for a day or so, we'll, we'll do that. Leave you overnight. Yeah. But any the, you got any any thoughts on the booster and whether or not you're gonna take the booster or, or I mean yeah, should I, I take the booster and then what about you young people? Should, you definitely should take the booster. <laughs> you might need to take a couple. Two boosters. <laughs> yeah, and that's again not a scientific opinion. That's just knowing you. Uh, no, I, I will take the booster when it's available, um, uh, but you know I'm just like everybody else. I'm just that's, that's just wait, your thought process. I'm, I'm just I'm just waiting on it. Yeah, but the thing I, I wanted to go back to the number of patients we have. I think and I think this is important is that you know of all those patients we've had come through the hospital, 92% of our COVID admissions are unvaccinated. And about eight, 92%. 92%. And about 8% of those. 92%. Yeah, and about 8% are, are vaccinated. So there's a concern about, well, I could get the shot and I could have a breakthrough COVID case. Right. Yeah, that's true. You, you could. Yeah. But, um, and, I, and I really like to put that, those facts out there because I think, you know, people are smart and they can do what they want to with the facts. It's, uh, but, but, that, but that's what we're seeing. And it's not unique to our hospital. Um, that is the number that we're seeing throughout Georgia. You know, roughly, it's is Georgia a little ahead of everybody else, or the South in the South having a few more cases than the rest of the country? And I read something the other day where guys said that's yeah. kind of leveling off in the South, and the other places are picking up. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, and this is a little bit outside of my 
my, my expertise, but you know, from what I understand from you know, what CDC is saying and what some of my you know, contacts there will say is that you know, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of information about you know, who has COVID, when they get the test, um, so we, you know, I, I, I try to look at it just more regionally. You know, I know that if we're talking about state of Georgia, you can, you can look at maps of vaccination rates and our vaccination rate in this, this part of Georgia is pretty good. One of the best, uh, our, our number of COVID patients is one of the least. It could be coincidental, could not be, but there are certainly places in Georgia that uh, have very, very low vaccination rates and are really struggling right now. I think you saw probably in the news today, the governor sent 100 and something National Guard out to 10 different hospitals throughout the state. And those those hospitals are, are truly struggling. Um, you know, it's very busy where we are, but it's a... Um, but it's manageable it's, for you. We're, yeah, we're not in the same situation as others. And we're, we're, we're somewhat fortunate right now. And I hope that, hope that continues. So let's talk about the business of hospital, um, you know, running a hospital. I, you know, in, in the mortgage business, you know, I got to go out and bring customers in. I'll bring customers in. I don't eat. So I eat what I kill or yeah. whatever. How do, you, how do you bring business into a hospital? So a hospital, um, and I think the way we, I can answer that is talking about who, who the customers are. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's several different types of customers. Um, so initially you think, you know, well, your customer is your patient. And that's true. Patient's the number one customer. But a customer is also our, our physicians. Um, because, you know, physicians choose where they send their patients. Or they choose where they do their surgeries. Or they choose where they want to do their procedures. And so they're also a customer. So as you're developing business for a hospital anywhere, you, ha- you have to maintain and grow relationships with both your patients and the people that refer those patients. Mm. Um, and you have to you know, establish relationships that are beneficial to you know, both physicians and the hospital. So that landscape has changed over the last 10, 20 years of the independent doctor mm-hmm. right versus a doctor that now works yeah. for i guess a hospital what what's going on in that how's that going what's what's the, what's on the horizon for that yeah so i i've i've been in this business for a little over 20 years and i've seen it kind of you know it'll cycle and right now we're in a cycle where there are more uh physicians becoming employed um and you know, there's a lot of different, lot of different reasons for that. Um, you know, when you're, say, you're a family practitioner and you've got your own practice, or maybe you have a partner with you, you're running a small business. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of physicians, you know, you went to medical school, and to be a doctor and take care of patients. Uh, and some of those physicians figure it out, and they're really good business people too. Uh, some figure out pretty quick that they don't, they don't. You know, they didn't get into medicine to to hire and fire people or, or, or deal with HR issues or pay or, rent, yeah, yeah, pay, yeah, meet payroll and all, all this other stuff that has to be done. Right. Uh, and so there are some physicians that choose to say, you know what, I'm going to let somebody else handle that. I'm going to focus on medicine. Um, and then there, you know, I think the other issue um, that, that we've seen nationally is that as insurance companies start to make, uh, they make agreements with larger groups and you get better rates, 
And so, you know, rates with you know, large groups of physicians, uh, you, they tend to get better reimbursement from an insurance company than you do if you're on your own. Um, so the same doctor might make more money on the reimbursement. Sure, potentially, yeah. Based yeah, on with who the, they're signed up with, so to right, speak. With, with the managed care companies. Now with Medicare and Medicaid, it's all the same. But So I got to think your business is a little bit like mine in that I generically do mortgages, but there may yeah. be some mortgages that I specialize sure. in, right? Is there a piece of the pie that you think that or, or that you're trying to build to say, hey, we're known for this or yeah. this is where we shine? So in our particular hospital, we, you know, we are known for, for several things. I mean, one is we're, we're uniquely a community hospital, which means we're a 202-bed hospital. We're located in the, in the community of, of North Fulton. Uh, but we're also, we're also the only level two trauma hospital um, between where we're located right now, uh, and you have to go down to either Grady or Atlanta Medical Center, uh, if you go to the west, you have to go all the way to Kennestown. Uh, if you go to the north, uh, you have to go all the way Gainesville. to the north. Yeah, you have to go all the way to Gainesville. So if and those are level three? Level two. And that, These are we're level, level two. Yeah, we're level two. I'm sorry. Uh, AMC is a level one. And level grade, one's the best. Or well, you got the most stuff. I would say, so the difference between a level one and a level two in the state of Georgia. Le- level one, you have to do, you have to have residence. You know, as, as part of your program, you have to do have a teaching program, which okay. both Atlanta Medical Center and Grady do, uh, and you'll do research as part of that. Um, but the level of care, the types of physicians they have, uh, we have to have 24/7 service in uh, quite a few specialties, probably eight different specialties, and somebody has to be on call 24/7 and able to get to that hospital within X number of minutes and take care of a patient. Um, so, you know, the most, in, you know, the highest uh, parts of that are, are, say, your trauma surgeons or your neurosurgeons. So mm-hmm. at our hospital, at a level two center, we have that. We have them 24-7. Somebody is on call. Somebody will be there. Um, a lot of times we'll get the call from EMS as the patient's coming in. Those calls are going out to the surgeons. Uh, most of them live pretty close within, you know, 15, 20 minutes at most from the hospital. And they're coming in at and they know they time. can go at any they got to be on call anytime anytime yeah. so when, when they're on call they'll be they're, they're here they can't go down to atlanta and have dinner um can't go have a bottle of wine they're there waiting for that call and if it you know if it doesn't come they're just on call if it does come they're in there and the whole team's in there and they they meet those uh they meet uh ems when they when they roll in the door there's a whole team from the emergency room doctors to the surgeons to the anesthesiologists. They're meeting those patients as they come into that trauma room. And everybody has a job to do. And, uh, and they move that patient to as quickly as they need to. If they need to send them to CT or to x-ray or take them straight to surgery mm-hmm. or do something right there in the trauma room. So if you get in an accident, North Fulton's a really good place to go. Or having a heart attack or... Yeah. So and, we're, and so with a heart attack, we have a we have a you know we're also known for our you know, cardiovascular service. We have a great team of cardiologists uh, that do a that do a lot of work, uh, both with heart attacks, but also with just routine follow up and, and caths and, and that sort so of thing. So the, the the we got a, a new stroke guy there, right? We do. And it does this. Does the stroke people use the same machine as the heart cath guy? Is it the same machine? They can, but um, but the, but they have a much more expensive toy that they like to use more. <laughs> 
and uh, it's called a biplane machine. So it's uh, to kind of explain it, it's it's like if you uh, there's a thing called a C arm, which is which we use in the cath lab. So and it's shaped like a C, and it has has cameras on both sides, and you can tilt it and move it. Uh, a biplane has two of those, so you can make uh, three dimensional mm. images. So say somebody comes in with a stroke they can quickly do a, a three-dimensional view of all of their vessels, their carotid, everything going into the, into the brain, and they can throw it up on a screen, they can find where the clot is, uh, and they have a guidance system that allows them to go up in there and get it. So big difference about what our center does and, and every other hospital in the state. So every other hospital in the state, um, you, you can administer a drug that will break the clot up. Uh, and so all hospitals do that. If you come in, you know, if it looks like you're having a stroke, they'll make a decision, do we need to administer this drug? But sometimes you have to go in and you have to send somebody at a comprehensive stroke center and you have to go in and actually remove that clot. So it's just something that's, uh, they, you know, they're, you know they, they would refer to themselves, we're like plumbers, you know, we, you, you can, a lot of times you can unstop your, uh, unstop your sink by yourself, but sometimes right. Drano's you know, you gotta, not enough. Drano's not enough, and you got to call the plumber. And so, <laughs> so you call the plumber in, and that's what they use this this big machine for. And they'll go in and actually extract extract a clot. And we've had just uh, you know, it's it's this is the first hospital where I've worked that we've had a comprehensive stroke program. And it's it, the fascinating part of of stroke is that you know with a heart attack you people can have a heart attack and if you don't catch it early enough you potentially could die you could die with a stroke but uh, a lot of times the the downside of big downside of a stroke is you you survive but you lose capacity of much of your body maybe for the rest of your life and mm. you can live for many many years and the opportunity to get in there fast get that clot out get the blood back to the brain can not only save somebody's life but saves their quality, quality of life, life for years i mean we had a we had a case um a few months ago of a, a lady she was uh you know about about my age in her 40s and she was combing her daughter's hair and um and just fell out one morning before school and her daughter picked up the phone called 911 and, and was smart enough to do that ems came out brought her into us we had her um, we had her in, in that lab and they they were able to ex extract that clot and she was up and out the next day um, you it, lucky. just amazing yeah and we That's have a lot, a lot of situations like that yeah so what about hiring and firing people at a hospital is it as is, is there is it labor tough right now for the hospital? Is there is. shortages of doctors or nurses or dietitians or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody. Is any different right now than it been five years ago? Well, it's different than it was a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, we, we've always had a an acute nursing shortage, uh, especially in those high demand departments such as intensive care unit. Uh, it's because those nurses, they're not right, usually right out of school. They'll, they, they take a number of years to train, and then as a nurse, they'll, then they'll train. They'll move you know, eventually into an ICU position if that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and there's just not that many nurses out there mm. to do that. Uh, in Atlanta, we have a lot of people that live here, and we have a you know, lot of health care. Uh, but we still don't have enough nurses. Uh, we, we do a lot of things working with... Local nursing schools, Wellstar's established, um, 
programs with Mercer. Um, I think they have something with a couple of the um, uh, a couple of the local community colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know, I'm trying to think of just trying a, to yeah. get them thinking yeah. about you and using you, mm-hmm. so maybe they slide right into the and system. And trying to find different things, like you know, finding people that you know maybe they haven't been a nurse for a while and want to come back, so we can get them into you know we'll pay for a program they can get into and, and get back up and going. Or maybe it's another professional that's never been in healthcare and wants well, to. What about nurse. somebody that's a nurse and then decides they want to be a stay-at-home mom or something? Can, happens, you yeah. can do weekends and stuff. I mean, you get there's we, a need for temporary. Yeah, we do, and we call it PRN, which I'm sure is a Latin term for something. But we, <laughs> but but that that's that's temporary. Yeah, and it's not really temporary. It's just it's part time. So part time. Uh, and we have different programs that work for um, people that you know have families. So you could come in and do a weekend every every week or you or some people you know have something where they'll do a three-day weekend every other week and it's mm-hmm. just uh and we you know we try to be very creative about trying to meet the needs of of what where people want to work and when they want to work uh with the needs that we have because we need people all the time so right right yeah. so what's the challenge of running a 24 7 facility like a waffle house right i mean what's it's like yeah it's I mean, like, does that does does that affect yeah. you that much? I mean, are you are you having to be dealt deal with that in the in the after hours, or are you pretty much got a yeah, you know regular? So I love that analogy, Waffle House. I'm about to yeah. work, on, work on time that back, but we are yeah. That, that's what they say. You know, you're in trouble. You know, when, when there's nothing open but the but the hospital and the Waffle House. <laughs> and I think they have something called the Waffle House Index. I don't know if you've ever heard. You ever yeah. Heard that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So they. Uh, but so, from a twenty four seven business, I mean, one of the challenges is staffing. You have to you have to run twenty four seven. It never closes. Since that hospital opened in eighty three, it's Man, never closed. Yeah, I mean, it's there's all. Is there locks on the door? Well, I guess there is because you don't want certain people in there. But. Yeah, so we you know it, it does lock. Oh, waffle houses didn't have locks on the door. Oh, that's true because they never closed. They didn't need it. So we have, we do have, you know, at certain times of the evening it will it will lock down. Uh, but you can access it. I mean, you yeah. have to go through one entrance. But the your question about, you know, how does it affect affect me? Um, so I have a, you know, an administrative group and we we all take call. And, you know, our call is more dealing with, you know, bigger issues that are affecting the hospital. I mean, sometimes it could be, you know, Powers out. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that, that happens. Yeah, hadn't happened here, thank God, but because we have, we, we have a very good relationship with Georgia Power, and I think they have three lines. We got generators and stuff. We've got generators, but we also have two or three lines coming in from different places into that hospital. Really? Yeah. So if one goes out, we have a backup on another, and if all that fails, uh, that's cool. Then we have we have generators that run on diesel. But but you but I got to stop you there because I've never heard that before. You have administrative call. Administrative call. That's yeah. pretty cool. So your administrative team, y'all take turns saying, "This is my weekend or my we evening." Do. That's right. If we got any problem, you're you're responsible for. We're it. responsible. And they can't go downtown to a restaurant we or drink their wine. Either. Yeah, we got to be able to be close. And <laughs> and sometimes things will happen, and we have to go into the hospital. I'll get calls at you know two in the morning on a Saturday night, and it just you know, and it it's just the way it is. And my yeah. wife understands. She knows when I'm on call because because she doesn't sleep so well. I don't have a problem. I can pick up a phone. Have a conversation with you and be back asleep in a minute. And unfortunately, it's not the same for her. Yeah, but she's very understanding. <laughs> I think she says she is. So, um, 
You know, one of my books is Buzz, and so I like yeah. to talk about people buzz. So, what's the what's what do you want the buzz to be about North Fulton Hospital? When people think of North Fulton, I mean, I think when you think about North Fulton, um, you know, we are the community is extremely important to us because the people that work at the hospital, for the most part, live in the community. They they're your neighbors, mm-hmm. they're your friends, they go to church with you. I take care of my neighbors and the people I go to church with, um, and it's. I think there's something special about that. We're in a. We're part of a big city of metropolitan Atlanta, but we have. You know, we, we're fortunate to be in this town, but at the same time, we're. And I and I always say this about this North Fulton area, about Alfreda, about Roswell, Milton. You know, we can attract and do attract some of the best specialists in the country. Because they want to live in the they area. Want to live they want their kids in the school. They want their kids in the school. They want to live here. They want to play here. They want to work here. Mm-hmm. And and that's great. You know, I've lived in a lot of places where it's difficult to recruit. And we it's, don't. That's the problem. We don't. Not have. a problem here. And we have so many great physicians that we you know that when we you know go to recruit and select we 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 we've got the pick because there's so many great. The, they want to live here. Well, how, how does competition work with hospitals? Because I've heard something about, you know, some hospitals want to open up and and, the, and other hospitals go, no, that we kind of got this area. How does that what, How does that lay the land on that? Um, if Wellstar wants to open another uh, hospital or Northside wants to open a North, right, another right, hospital, right. How do, can they just open it anywhere? So within the state of Georgia, we have something called Certificate of Need. Okay. And the way this the way this works is it's it's a uh, it goes through the Department of Health in the state of Georgia, and we're one of the states where if you want to go open a hospital or if you want to open you know cancer center or you know build a new CT scanner, you have to go and make a request of the Department of Health through what's called a certificate of need or a CON process, and your CON. Uh, there are rules and regulations about where you can, you know, build a hospital. So, you know, if we wanted to go, they're coming. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't just do it. Yeah. It, it would it, because there would have to be a there has to be a need for it, mm-hmm. and the need can't currently be met by the existing hospital or hospitals in that region. So, do hospitals go open up little clinics that specialize stuff to get a foothold because the other other hospitals yeah, not doing? How does that game yeah, play out? I think there's some of that. Some of that's uh, is you can do. You can go and open up, uh, you know, urgent care clinics uh, pretty much anywhere you want. You can so that's not a certificate of need, really. No, there's some things that that aren't. So there or physician clinics or things like that. Mm, and some states don't don't have certificate of need. So I think like uh, I want to say maybe Texas is one of those states. So there's not. You can just open up wherever you want. Um, so. And there's, there's plus and minus to that. I think the people that argue for CON will say, if you don't have CON, it increases healthcare costs. Because now instead of, you know, you know, one hospital, we've got, you know, six hospitals up here. And they all have expensive equipment. And they all, you know, are having to have, you know, staff run their hospitals. Um, you know, there, there's all different, you know, schools of thought. It just... But we happen to be in a CON state, and that's that's the way that we, we work within whatever rules we have. Right, right. So how do you, as an executive, you know, as a CEO, how do you talk to yourself? What's the conversation you have with yourself? 
because you evidently are having a different conversation than a lot of other people because you wouldn't have come up the ranks like you did. So how do you, what's your thought process on that? Because if you were talking to a younger person and you yeah. were saying, they're like, yeah, I want to, I want you to mentor me. I want to be like you one day. How would you tell them to start thinking about that? I, I, I think as I tell, and I, and I do get a lot of those questions, especially, you know, uh, young people coming out of school that, you know, want a career in healthcare. My first question is, I was like, well, you know, you have to ask you why, why do you want it? And the answer really needs to be, I love it. You know, it's, it's is that your I, why? It's what I enjoy. Yeah. That's, that's why I do it. I mean, otherwise I'll do something else. Right. Uh, cause if you don't love what you're doing, it's just a, there's no, why do it? Right. It's not, you're never well, but gonna, there's a whole ton of people in this world that do, are doing and something you, and don't and, love and it. And you do it for the, you know, there's people that do it for the money. They do it because, you know, it's expected. But is that your purpose? Is that your life purpose to do? I think my life purpose is, you know, my, my family is my life purpose. Uh, but my job is something that, you know, I, I enjoy. And, you know, if I'm at a point where I don't enjoy it, I'll do something else. Um, but, you know, what I enjoy about about the job is that you know I have a thousand people over there that I, I get to you know walk around every day through that hospital through all those departments so there's it's like a hospitals like 50 little businesses all working under one roof and you know my main job or the job that I see as my main job is to try to figure out what my team members need and how to remove those barriers uh, because they so have, you enjoy that part of it. I do enjoy that part of it. Yeah, because they have a job. Is that problem solving kind of almost? Or how do you see that? In your some head? of it's problem solving. I think a lot of it, uh, I've, I've you know figured out over the years is trying to not just fix people's problems, but empower them to find a way to fix their own problems. Um, and, well, that's huge right there. Yeah. Right. So what you're saying is your philosophy is to empower the people to to do what they need to do. Yeah not tell them what they need to do. It's not like I'm the general and doing it my way. That's right. If you want, if you want a, and at least with a hospital, if you want it to run the way it needs to run, uh, you know, one is to respect every single person there and what they do. And most of them do their job way better than you could ever do it. Like I talked about respiratory therapists earlier. I couldn't go be a respiratory therapist. <laughs> But you yeah. get a smoke break. Yeah, you used to, <laughs> like 30 years ago. They don't, they don't let you do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think any hospital. Well, tell would. me more about your philosophies on how you run your business. So, I mean, where, and where did you get those philosophies? Did you learn those from somebody else? Or yeah, I mean, tootle I think, under somebody, or well, I think with anything, you know, Steve, you, you learn from from people you work with and people mm -hmm. you work for, and even from people that work for you. You know, I, I, I watch that too. And um, you see what works, you see what doesn't work, you see how people respond. I mean, we've all had a, a terrible boss at some point and you're like, right. you're like I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, what's an example of that? What's up that you, uh, uh, you you're know, like, I'm not gonna be that guy. I, I think, you know, I, I had a boss years ago who would want to be the expert in the room on everything. But everybody knew this person was not the expert, <laughs> and it kind of became a, a joke because you, this person would. It was very important to them that he was it, right. It was an ego thing, right? So it was right, but it didn't. 
you know, it, it didn't fix problems. And, and I think, you know, we, we never assume that your, your team members, the people that work for you, uh, know, know less. And that, that, that is the first big mistake because if you don't support them and you, you're not there helping them move barriers or treating them like they are the experts that they are, you know, people will tend to, you know, they, if they don't leave, they'll become passive, you know, and they, they'll, and right. people will work against you. How do you handle the one bad apple thing? Like you got this group and you got this yeah. one bad nurse or bad doctor yeah. or yeah. something. How do you deal with that? You got, you, if you can identify a bad apple and we all, I mean, it's not, all, there's no way you don't have them. Right? We've all worked with bad apples and you have, you have to find that in either turn that person around or, or help them. Can you change them? Find another place. I, I think you can sometimes, but you have to, you have to be able to make those hard decisions sometimes too. And, and that's the tough thing about being a leader and a manager is you, you cannot allow, you know, somebody that's not pulling their weight to pull the rest of the team down. Because here, here's what will happen that I find is that that bad apple, your team members, know that person's a bad apple long before you figure it out. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is if they see that person, you know, getting away the same with raise it. or get the same bonus as everybody else does, as people don't, they just get to the point where why, why do I continue to work so hard? And they let this person. But do you to go place. to that bad apple and say, Hey, you're bad apple or we've got some issues and you got to go, you got to, do a b and c to stay yeah. or if you don't you got to go or how, how do you how do you give them the lines in which you determine that okay it's not working they got to go or this this person's making improvement yeah well i think um and people do it different ways and the way way i i do it or i've experienced my experience has been you have you have those conversations so you shouldn't for somebody that reports to you it should never be a surprise if they're not producing um the other thing is you, you know, you have to have those conversations with them to let them know what you're thinking, document them. Uh, you know, the other thing is just to make make sure that you know they understand there's some very objective measures. You know, it can't be subjective. Like uh, I, I feel like you're not doing a good job. It just doesn't. Right. Why? Why don't you feel that? Oh, you need to give them some concrete. It has to be stuff. specific. You know, you're, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're not, you're not meeting these metrics and. Uh, and, and this is what it's causing or you're not, you know, a lot of times, you know, in my position, it's more when I have managers, it's, it's how they manage. And that's mm -hmm. a lot of our discussion because you, you can, because as a manager, you're not, you're not really producing anything. I mean, you're there, you're there to help to manage and manage and remove barriers. That's your job. And it's frustrating sometimes because a lot of times I think, you know, we want to get in and fix the problem. And a lot of times I know what the problem is. I was like, I get in there and fix that problem. But if I fix it, they're going to call me the next time. Yeah. So it's you, you know, need that. You need your people to fix it. That's right. That's it's all about empowering your people. Empowering the people. Yeah. And Did people he, people that are empowered, they'll make the they'll feel comfortable enough to make their own decisions. Um, they're not worried about repercussions if they make the wrong decision. You know, we may have a you know discussion. Why did we do that? But they're not. You know, but they're empowered enough to like. They know that they can pick up that phone and 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 call you if they need you, or let you know what they've done, or they can call another department. They don't have to call their boss. Who calls their boss? Who calls another boss? That's 
just a waste of time. Let's just get right to it, get get the job done. And and I love it when I can one step see that. away from yeah. There's nothing better than than seeing the the whole engine run, and you and, and a lot of times you weren't directly involved in it, and it just worked. And you hear great great things happen. You know. Yeah, just, it corrected itself. Yeah. Now when you see things that are you know, don't have, you know, certain things start popping up. We use these things called safer events uh, where we'll, we track, you know, events that happen in the hospital. And, you know, if something happens too many times, you're like, what's going on? Let's go look at this unit. Let's, is it a certain person? Is it how we're teaching, training? And you try to adjust and, and, and make changes and then, you know, get everything back. Is there anything that from, you know, what you do that you see other business businesses that you go man I don't understand why they don't do something differently that you feel like is work for you or works in the hospital business and people don't really do it you know in my world yeah. you know we, we oh. I, I see people not call people back and yeah and and I, I'm and I'm and I and I don't know why other people don't call people back I don't I don't understand that yeah, I, mean, I think something like that is a problem in any business. I mean, I think you know our business is very, very similar. You know, if you don't call your customer back, yeah, they get more angry, and then they'll post something on Facebook about you. You know, so you have and that's that's every business. You know, you have to be you know respectful and fast. And I think a lot of people. I mean, on that example, people that don't call people back, I think they just, you know, they they either they don't organize very well or they'll write it down and forget about it or or they just don't like conflict and and I think you see that a lot among a lot of leaders you know I think that's a challenge they don't that's a big problem if you don't like conflict and yeah. you want to be a leader you yeah. got to at least put the elephant on the table you got to be comfortable with doing yeah. that I think and a lot of you? The, and, and, yeah you have to because if you yeah. don't it just, uh, it's just going to eat you up investors. yeah it's going to eat you up so, um, well, anyway, that's been awesome. Is there anything I'm missing? Anything that people need to know? I mean, if you're going to go to the hospital, is there an ABC of that? Like we would tell you, if you're going to get a mortgage, don't go buy yeah. a new car and run up your charge card. I mean, is there? What would you tell somebody? Hey, I got to go have a procedure, or I got to go to the ER. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the advice I give everybody: we're, we're in a strange business where we do all these things to try to keep people healthy so you don't have to go to the hospital. It, it's just, you know, it's an odd odd business like that. I mean, who runs a business that tries to come up with ways for you not to use the business? So right. We, you know, I, but one of the things I will say, and I tell everybody this, is go and, you know, get, get your annual physical. Okay. Get your annual physical. And you're surprised, and I know you do yeah. every year. Yeah. Uh, um, not not that I know that. I'm just guessing that you No, do. I do. I didn't go look at your records or anything. But I do. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of people that just don't get that physical every year because it's you know too much to get off work or you gotta you know sign up and most people's insurance will pay for that annual physical every year. Uh, some people just don't want to know, you know. Right. And, but and I think but I think getting catching things early, especially as you get older, is so important. Um, you know, especially you know take cancer for instance. If you can catch it early, if something's not going quite right. You may not even know, but you might get it. It might be picked up in a blood test at an annual physical, and it may save your life, or it may keep you from going through, you know, years of, of treatment. Hmm. And there's there are things that, you know, I think we can all be proactive. You know, doing our prostate, 
in an exam, you know, mm -hmm. getting screened. Uh, all those things are uh, mammograms, mammograms and breast cancer. Yeah, doing that, you know, especially if you have a family history. Um, all these things that are uncomfortable because at the end of the day, nobody gets excited about, you know, going in and getting an exam done. It's, well, I look at it kind of like an oil change. I mean, it's a pain in the booty. You got to stop and get gas and get your oil changed every right. now and then. But you got to keep the engine running. Right? That's that's what you got to do. And it's yeah. better it's better to know. And we've got you know great doctors here. And it's uh, I, just take care of yourself. And I think we can do a lot more as Americans if we really want to reduce the cost of health care. There's a lot of things we can do to reduce our comorbidities. We can take care of ourselves. We can exercise. We can eat better. We can make sure we get our annual checkups so we don't get in positions where we use a lot of health care. That's a good point. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, I, I don't have the percentages, but there's a very small percent of people, um, you know, based on their comorbidities or age or whatever it is, that use the most health care. Um, and it is, it, you know, because a lot of us don't, you know, we don't go to the hospital very often. Right. Um, but there's a lot of people that do frequently, um, and it's and and that that's part of what. Like they get sick and they just stay sick, right? They yeah. it's too late kind of thing, and it just. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we we see that a lot of with a lot of different issues that people have, mm. just, and it's hard because you know we we all know we're supposed to take care of ourselves. We know we're supposed to exercise. Right. We we just find something else to do. Yeah. You know? So we, we all need to, you know, put on our hook of tennis I read shoes. a great book called Be Younger Next Year, and the guy was yeah. saying once you get to 50, your job is to exercise. Your job's not to go to work. Hmm. And it kind of gave me a whole change in thought process. So I just tried to figure out a way that yeah. I could exercise and work that into my work. So I just do a walk. And the great yeah. thing for me is I can talk on the phone while I'm walking. Yeah. And and so I, I don't feel like I miss it, you know. So it works yeah. for me. But anyway, hey. We want to thank John Paul for coming and stopping by and giving us some of his time and bring y'all up to speed a little bit on COVID and what's going on in North Fulton Hospital. So it sounds like to me, if you've got, uh, you're in an emergency or you're scared, you need to get down to North Fulton. It sounds like the best place to go locally. So thank y'all for uh, for being with us today. Thank you, John Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Well, Appreciate the opportunity.